All right. Hi, everybody. I'm Morgan, and today I'm joined by a super special guest. Hi. <laughs> I know you're looking at me. This is Barbara Chirinos. Hi, everyone. And this is Black Chat, the podcast. Barbara, I mean, you are easily... I mean, I, I have in my notes here, I say Barbara is my next auntie in line, and I couldn't be more excited to have you on the podcast, which is true. But you're straight up. I think you are like the second Black person that I met when I moved to this city. Seriously? I, I'm super serious. No, you must have met some one other Black person before. I mean, other Homer than... doesn't count. Okay. But oh, yeah. Well, I accept. <laughs> I'm honored. Um, before we get too excited in conversation, I'm just going to okay. read your bio to situate how badass you are. So Barbara is an independent curator and producer. She's the founder and former co-curator for the Vancouver International Film Festival, celebrates Black History Month, now entering its ninth year, we believe, at the Van City Theatre, um, and is actually now currently being curated by Naya Lewis, who we just, our last episode was with, but we'll get into that later. Working closely with the artistic director, Margot Kane of Full Circle First Nations Performance, Barbara served as the feature film and lead curator for the NFB Indigenous Short Film Program of the 2017 Drum, Drum is Calling Festival. Barbara also co-curated with Mexican artist Ari Delamora and produced the International Day of the Dead exhibit and tour on Granville Island. She has produced several community engaging events, including Afro Hair Savoir Faire, celebrating Black hair and in all its glory through film and partnerships, and Feast on Film, bringing lovers of food and film together. Her recent projects include programming and executing the Battered Women's 40 Years Later Gala at Vancouver's Orpheum Theatre, featuring Tarana Burke, founder of the hashtag MeToo movement that happened in 2019, I believe. She also served as the production coordinator for the first annual Feminist Deliver Conference, bringing together an array of Canadian and North American social justice activists and delegates. Barbara served as an executive director of the Granville Island Cultural Society and as managing director for the Vancouver Folk Musical Festival. So obviously there are plenty of reasons why people beyond me need to know who you are. Why, thank you. So, I mean, as listeners know, if you're new, welcome. If you're old, welcome still. Um, how we do land acknowledgements in this camp is by um, talking about where we've come from and how we got here, essentially. So, for me, I my paternal roots so on my dad's side, uh, my family's from Guyana, South America and came here in the 70s, I believe, um, to Treaty 6 being Edmonton, Alberta, um, which was actually called um, the Beaver Hills House by the um, Indigenous tribes that um, found significance and, I mean, respite and use out of these lands traditionally, um, which are the Cree, Sutina Nation, uh, Nitsutapi, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sui, Haudenosaunee, Iroquois, Dene Saline, Anishinaabe, Ojibwe, Saltu, and Inuk and Inuit people who all saw this place as great importance and frequence 
And on my maternal side, my family's Ukrainian, um, but has been in residing on Treaty 5, which is in northern Manitoba, for as long as I know of our family. I don't know when we landed here. That's not of my knowledge. Um, and that land is specifically of the Michif, Métis, and Plains Cree people. And I moved to what is colonially known as Vancouver, BC in 2016, which is the unceded ancestral homelands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. And that is where Black Chat is primarily hosted and recorded. Yes, indeed. And that's where we are and where I am from is my parents are originally from Latin America. Um, my mother from Nicaragua and my dad from Honduras. My grandfather's full-blooded Mosquito Indian from Honduras. Um, they essentially lived in the town of La Ceiba, which is on the east coast of Honduras. And I was born in Brooklyn, New York, in the land of the Lenape. Um, born and bred, lived there most of my life, and moved to Vancouver in 2002. And I've been here ever since. Wow. And I'm grateful to live in such a beautiful place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, joining in on that. Um, and please, if I butchered, this is my first time doing the Edmonton land acknowledgement because typically Kona does that. Um, and so if I butchered any of those names, please feel free to chastise me. I will take it and be better next time. Promise. Barbara, I have literally, I mean, I have like a plethora of things on my list of like potential talkabouts, but what is on the top of my list, and you just mentioned, um, you, prior to living in Vancouver, were living in New York. And, you know, New York is like this Mecca-esque utopia, at least in my um, personal vision of it, um, for like, what is Blackness and what is possible as a Black person and all of these things. And so I guess as an opening question, something really light, you know, um, would be, what is it, how do you, what is your experience like being a Black woman here in Vancouver, especially from coming from a place like New York, where to be Black is kind of a different thing there? You know, it's really quite interesting um, because <laughs> a lot of people don't mess with me, period. Whether I was in New York or whether I'm here because I'm a six foot tall Black woman, right? Or and so, um, yeah, there definitely were situations where I'm on the bus and there are potentially people staring at me out of hate, but because I'm not paying attention to them, I don't see it. But there are times when I was getting on the bus, when we were all using the bus quite frequently every day, where mm -hmm. there, you know, where people didn't want to sit next to me. You know, it is definitely an aggressive act. You know, when you grow up in New York, you do grow up with a a barrier around you. Um, you do because the stimuli that you get is frequent. It's all the time. It's, right. you know, everybody's got something to say. <laughs> everybody's going to look at you. And after a while, you really just decide to see only what you want to see. Um, but when someone decides that they don't want to sit next to you on the bus, it hurts, you know, yeah. it hurts. And this was an 80 year old woman. I mean, she's like old, she blew the cane and 
it was the only seat that was available. And meanwhile, it's the bus is crowded. And um, I'm not going to get up because there was a seat right next to me and she decided she didn't want to sit in it. So mm -hmm. a seat opened up in the back and there she goes walking towards the back of the bus and everybody's looking at her and she almost fell and um, I had to keep the smirk off my face. Um, well, no, I didn't have to. And to be honest, I didn't. I was going to but... say, I'm like, yeah, no need to be able to hide your expressions. So... No, because I'm like, you know what? God don't like ugly. And so if you, um, if that's what you need to do, because I don't know what you think is going to happen if you sit next to me, but fine, that's your choice. You're a grown woman. You want to walk to the back with your cane and potentially fall um, because you don't want to sit next to the black woman on the bus. Um, that says more about you than it says about me. Very that. So, you know, so uh, those sort of things do happen. But to be honest, lots of times I just, I ain't got time for that. New York is a fabulous place. I miss it very, very much. And the neighborhood that I grew up in as a kid was mixed. And that was fantastic. Everybody knew everybody. Everybody was in everybody's houses. You know, there were Italians. There were um, Haitians, Jamaicans. Um, my family were Latinos, Irish. And we all got together. And, and that was fine. And then, of course, because of the great white flight, all those white people left and the neighborhood became all black. And it was also fabulous. It was fabulous waking up every day, walking to the subway and only seeing brothers and sisters. You know, it was it was what it was. And then you get on the train and you head into Manhattan and then it's a mix of everybody all over again. And, you know, but there are a bunch of white supremacists there, too. There are, I mean, you know, a lot of them. But you just can't pay attention to unless somebody is trying to take my money, my partner, my home. I don't have time for that. And so, you know, I worked in the arts. I was a filmmaker for 11 years when I was in New York and also a lighting technician and a production stage manager where I would take tours across the United States. So mm -hmm. those are the things that I did before I came to Vancouver. And it was interesting because as soon as I got here, I started working in arts and culture as a stage manager. And I don't believe that there were many black women stage managers. And come to think of it, I cannot think of one other that I actually ran into while I, um, when I started here, it's, I'm sh it's, very different now and this is 2002 mm -hmm. so as as a black woman working as as a stage manager here i was thrust into a, a an arena that was comprised mainly of men but i was used to that since i was a production stage manager back in new york and again the shield that i grew up with has been helpful for me has been very protective of me because nine out of 10 times, it's like, you know, no one got time for that. And I don't know you, so I don't care. <laughs> so I don't care. Again, if you're not messing with my job, my partner, my money or my house, I don't care what you think. Yes. Because what you think of me is none of my business. I don't know. I mean, first of all, it just blows my mind. Not 
because I don't understand racism, but it blows my mind that nobody would want to sit next to you just because you're like, you're genuinely one of the nicest people I know. You always smell so good. I'm thinking I smell and I can smell it. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> so like, you know, it's just, it's just wild. It's just so wild to me, but I'm also, yeah, like, I'm not surprised. I've run into my own circumstances where same thing, like there's plenty of, you know, there are seats around me that are open you know, on either side. And if you don't want to sit down, that's not my problem. Okay. That's not all my right. problem. Yeah. Not my problem at all. No, and I don't have to get up. Nope. Or move to the back of the bus. No, ma'am. <laughs> oh, that's not happening. Okay. <laughs> that's not happening. Yeah. I think that, you know, I, I've never lived somewhere where like Vancouver is the one city that I've lived in that has had the largest population of black people. And, <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm saying a lot. So I know for me, when I went to New York, I went to New York, I was there for four days. Is that <laughs> even true? Three and a half. I was there for a very brief amount of time. I was staying in Brooklyn. And where I was staying, I was staying in like a, you know, a tall apartment building, Airbnb. And I it had like this massive terrace. And so I went on the terrace one morning. And I heard um reggae playing from the streets below and there was like a little bit of smoke trailing up people were frying jerk chicken smoking jerk oh, chicken okay okay black okay. people everywhere i was like okay. why would i ever want to live other than the fact that these blocks be centuries long what the fuck <laughs> they are long a new york city block is long it's true <laughs> like a new york city block is like five regular blocks <laughs> it's true it's true um, but yeah, like, it's just such an experience. My, like, so, so beautiful. I would love my dream is that after this pandemic, I've said to you before that I would love to go to New York, like with you. And I still would love to do that. Oh, I'd love to take you. And it is absolutely wonderful. The house parties, particularly with, oh, and just going to clubs where it's nothing but black people and the music and everybody gets you. And it's, you know, you get the jokes, you get the food, you get the clothes, you get the hair, you get everything. Nothing has to be explained. And I had forgotten how much I crave that until I, you know, because I got used to being here and I'm a great being around lots of people. And I, I really do. I'm, I'm a multicultural person just by my ethnic makeup, mm-hmm. but also because of the way I grew up. And because of the movies that, I mean, I love watching movies, musicals from the 1930s, beginning at the age of five. Not that I'm that old. It's just that in New York, all these repeats were always on. So I always watch musicals. And of course, the love of black film or black characters in film began at that time where we'd watch these movies. My mother would always make sure we'd go to Sidney Poitier's. When Sidney Poitier had a film in the theaters, we had to go. That, yes. that, was it. That, that was it. And, you know, mom would put potato salad and sandwiches in her pocketbook. Yes, okay? mom. She's like, yes, mom. We ain't buying no popcorn. We ain't, buying, no, we, we ain't <laughs> buying these expensive ass theater snacks. <laughs> no, then she'd hand out the plates in the movie theater. And there we go, me, her, my sister, and we'd watch every single Sidney Poitier. And it was wonderful seeing him on screen as a commanding presence, so well-spoken. Um, he also was in a number of comedies. 
which were always great. Mm-hmm. And but his films weren't the only ones that we would see. Of course, there were others. And I would always ask myself when I'm watching them, how come there are no little girls in here that look like me? Mm. You know, do they not exist? What the, you know, they don't exist in that neighborhood. Um, well, that's a film about New York. I know that there are some black girls that live in New York. I live in New York. How come there's no one here that looks like me? And that is essentially what drove me to become a, an independent film producer because it was right around the time when Spike was coming up, when um, Julie Dash was coming up, when Raul Peck, who is the Haitian director of the film, I Am Not Your Negro, um, was coming up. And I was able to partner with a really fantastic filmmaker whose name was Ayoka Chinzera. And we made films together for 11 years. It was really important to me that I had the ability to write stories that were true to who I am and to and would read authentically to others like me because we all have our stories and there were just so many of them that were not reflecting our real experiences as Black people. So um, all of that led me to the place where I am now. I'm pretty sure the first film that you like I you ever introduced me to was um, Daughters of the Dust. Yes. Which for me, I mean, for anyone who's attended a Black chat gathering, you know that that is the film that is on loop, on silent, on the TV every single time since we ever first originated. It's it's a staple. It's a staple in my existence. I I watch that film probably at least three times a year, and I'm constantly introducing new people, like people, to the film for the first time. And like I, for me, it was just like I don't know. I don't think you like handpicked that film to show me. I don't think that that's what happened. But like it just it resonates with me in such a deep way, and though it doesn't reflect any of my life like any of my lived life it also is just like it feels very ancestral and honest in that way and it's just such a beautiful film and I never saw myself as being like a film buff and I still don't consider myself to be a film buff I just like film but that was the first film that like prompted me to look at cinema in a kind of different lens and I mean correct me if I'm wrong but you have like some form of connection to the person who created that film no? Uh, To Julie Dash? Yeah, Julie, my business partner, my former business partner, Ayoka Chinzera, um, she is, she actually introduced me to Julie. And this, when I had mentioned, when I started making films, it was around the time that Spike was coming up and Julie was coming up and Ayoka as well. And so uh, the production company that I was working with with Ioka, um, because Ioka and Julie both attended NYU Film School and are very close friends. Um, we got the invitation to go to the opening of Daughters of the Dust at the Film Forum in um, New York, and talk about I had never seen anything like this because I had attended the premiere of Spike Lee. She's got to have it, mm-hmm. and I went on a date, and it was 
it was cool. It was fun. It was nice. I was so excited. I mean, it was the first time I'd been at a film. It wasn't the first time I'd been to a film that the theater was completely filled with black people because most of the films that we went to when I became an adult, of course, were filled with black people and absolutely loving it. Throwing shade at the screen, asking that brother, what what are you doing? She's not for you. I mean, all of those things. And she's got to have it. The premiere was absolutely fantastic. But everybody was really casual and was cool and was wonderful. Mm-hmm. When we went to the opening of um, Daughters of the Dust, it was as if African royalty from all corners of the globe had shown up. Everybody is walking down the street with cowrie shells, locks that are standing two feet in the air, flowing robes that are colored and indigo and gold and silver and just laughter as people are converging down the street to get to the theater and Julie was outside and we all were talking to her. And then we went in to see the film and we were all just struck with how beautiful the film is and how important it was in terms of the preservation of um, the, the Geechee Society in South Carolina, along with the preservation of the language, mm-hmm. the preservation of the food, and the ability to see Black people in the distant past, because it takes place at the turn of the century, turn of the 20th century, mm-hmm. um, that were not slaves, so it was not slave porn, um, that were really working on trying to find a way to preserve their way of life in the place that they had always known immediately after slavery. And now this land was becoming um, valuable and um, there were people that were trying to get them off their land. But in the meantime, there they are getting together as a family And you get to see natural hairstyles, people who are in love. And they're all, it's all black except for one indigenous brother who was in love with one of the characters. Mm -hmm. Um, So everybody was um, a character of color. I think there was, I don't remember, maybe a couple of white people, you know, that came in, whatever, the villains or whatever. Yeah, trying to buy land. I don't remember. No, probably not. Okay, good. So then I'm conflating it with another film, but everybody was beautiful. Not to mention everyone was lit beautifully. Come on. Okay. Yeah. Come on. AJ was the cinematographer. He and Julie were married at the time. They're no longer together. AJ, who's been a DP for a number of great films. And now he is a, um, he's a visual artist who's taking over quite a number of, um, um, He's just hitting it really big as a visual artist now. If I'm not, I believe I'm correct in this. I could be mistaken, but I believe he worked with Beyonce along for Lemonade as well, I think. That is correct. He was the DP yeah. for Lemonade. Yeah, he, he was. And it was wonderful to see a film where all the Black people, you could see their undertones of their skin. You could see the lighting. They were not ashy. Everybody was not green. Mm-hmm. Um, you or know, weirdly golden yellow. 
Exactly. Where, you know, and I remember at the time, just before that, there were all kinds of discussions between directors of photography about the difficulty of lighting black skin. And then here comes Daughter of the Dust. Everybody is lit beautifully. It's like, uh, no, it's not difficult. It's not more difficult. It's different, but it's not more difficult than lighting any other skin tone. And you can actually make it beautiful. It's actually easier to make people look beautiful. So that's how I have a connection to Julie. And when I brought Daughters of the Dust to Vancouver, it was through my connection, through Ayoka, that I was able to get to Julie to have the film um, come. That's so beautiful. It really really is like the most, and it's, and and like you said, like it, this, this film was released, like what year? 1992, three, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So it's older than me. Yes. And I mean, to this day in the world where like cinematography and movies and cinema have like, you know, the graphics, the visuals are like a whole different thing. Like all of what you're saying about the lighting, how good everyone looks, it holds up. In fact, I, in many ways, I prefer, it's like such a staple. It's almost what I compare other things to because, you know, now I feel like it's such a thing in film. This is like my makeup artistry coming out a bit, but like, you know, everyone has this like bright ass yellow, you know, under eyes and everyone's like, you know, made up in this very similar way. So as much as like, you know, there's this really beautiful embracing and of black beauty and all of that, like, it's just, there's just something about it. It's just, it's so beautiful to watch that film and look and like see people like see like, it's just. It is absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And It'd be interesting to know what you think of the the difference of the cinematography between Lemonade and Daughters of the Dust, because I would imagine. So I listen. Okay. I watch Lemonade. I watch Lemonade probably like once every two months. (laughs) Like I watch the visual album like once every two months. And I, I, I mean, I watched him before I even like uh, knew that there was a correlation between Daughters of the Dust. I was like, this feels similar. This feels like a bare minimum cousins. Like this just, there was something just about the kind of, I don't know. I don't know what it was, but it's just, I mean, I have a hard time criticizing anything Beyonce does because it's Beyonce. Um, <laughs> but like it just, it. I think mixed with the the beautiful visuals mixed with like her perfectionism and her like own control tendency to control that we know Beyonce has regardless of what we believe I just I know that to be true it just created it's just such a beautiful story I saw that and I was like okay Beyonce is a filmmaker Yes. You know, like it just, it just, it, I, and I don't know how it would have been without, with a different team behind it. Right. Like, you know, but it, it felt like a conscious choice. It felt like it captured like the truth, the truth behind what that album was about and what that album held and what it was trying to reference. And another film, you brought this up and I don't actually know just cause we're kind of talking about history. So this is where I'm segueing. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually know that there was an original version of Birth of a Nation. Mm. I didn't know there was a 1916 version, um, which is, I mean, that's over. It's wow, over. Were, it's, yeah, is that a hundred years apart? Yeah. A hundred years apart. 
Absolutely. And I'm like, was, wow, 1916, 2016, the hundred years. A hundred years. And it was directed by D.W. Griffiths. And he also happened to have been a um, college roommate of Woodrow Wilson, um, president of the United States during World War One. And because of the relationship between D.W. Griffiths and Woodrow Wilson, Birth of a Nation got a screening in the White House and also managed to get, you know, a comment from the president uh, about the film. It was a film that um, is the prototypical example of racism in film. And it was absolutely horrible. Black people were made the villain. Um, it was all done in black and white. And it was a film that um, was the first, first feature length film. So that was significant. Wait, um, there was some first like like first moving picture that was that was distributed nationwide. So it got a lot of press. And it also because of its portrayal of the Ku Klux Klan in the movie, um, because, you know, the black man went and stole this white woman um, because he's this beast. And of course, the beast only wants to, you know, rape white women. And then it was, you know, the Ku Klux Klan come to get him and his family. The film helped to reinvigorate the Ku Klux Klan at the time, which was dying down in terms of, yeah, exactly, was dying down in terms of its popularity. Um, and then here comes Birth of a Nation with the Ku Klux Klan. The film is being shown all over the United States. It's endorsed by the White House and by the president. And as a result, a number of films, and of course the black man in the film is all in blackface. And so that is the beginning, not the beginning of blackface, but um, because there was blackface before that, but it was the first time that it was presented in such a national way and distributed so widely. Um, and also, of course, it's the first, it's endorsed by the White House, it's endorsed by Woodrow Wilson. They sold out and it's still considered to be a classic because it was the first nationally distributed feature film in 1915. And within it, you know, the black person, the black people are the villains, they are the monsters, and it takes us on, it starts the journey of um, black people being monsters and villains in film from that time. So from 1915. I make it a point to try to watch like any black anything on like Netflix or whatever. So yes. I remember, and this was before, you know, 2020. So people didn't, I know there was a little bit of that peak in 2016, but then like that intermediary period, you know, people didn't give a shit about black people. So our options were slim. I was out here being like, okay, there's five black movies on Netflix. I've seen them. Which ones have a, now which movies have like a black side best friend, you know? So it was, it was rough times. But I remember getting to Birth of a Nation and it took me like six separate days to watch that film. The, yes. Not the original, like the remake. 
And it stands to be, I typically can like rewatch most movies and I've never rewatched that movie. Yes. Cause it's a lot like there, I'm having like particular scenes flash through my brain that I won't like recant because they're a lot, but like, and it, it, it absolutely doesn't vilify black people. Like you're talking about the The first one. Right. Right. But it's already so horrendous and horrifying in its truth. Mm-hmm. That for that to be associated also with like the anger of the shitty portrayal of black people, black enslaved people, I can't even, I can't even imagine. Well, what I really enjoyed about the second Birth of a Nation, directed mm-hmm. by Nate Parker, mm-hmm. is that he did a flip. And the flip that he did was the black people in the film were heroes mm-hmm. they were heroes but they were, they were heroes to the black community because of course the film birth of a nation by nate parker actually tells the story of the rebellion of nat turner right and nat turner to black people um particularly black people in the united states nat turner is considered a hero to yep. this day there are still white people in the South that consider Nat Turner to be a villain, but to black people, Nat Turner is a hero. Mm -hmm. And in the film, what is the monster is white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So it is, it is such a hard film to, to see, Mm -hmm. but what is noteworthy about it is that it is authentic as much as we can tell, because it is a portrayal from the black perspective right. in terms of how a hero was born in this nation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we didn't have many heroes. I mean, back then, I mean, we, of course, back at the time during slavery, but after that rebellion, that story has carried um, throughout history to now um, that we, since we've always considered this man to be a hero in terms of the rebellion, in terms of, you know, hey, they slaughtered lots of white people when they, because all they wanted was their freedom. They mm-hmm. wanted their families back. They wanted not to be treated as property. And no matter what they did, here it was, Nat Turner even became a preacher was doing everything everything that he was brought up to do as a slave and realizing no matter what he did, it did not make a difference. He couldn't have terms of his own family. He couldn't make the terms in terms of his own house. He couldn't make the terms for anything while he was given the, uh, the opportunity to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. And as he's reading the Bible and gaining now- knowledge, from all the stories there and as a result of all of the cruelty and there was an awakening in him. And so it is a hard film to watch, but number of heroes that are born have to go through so much adversity mm-hmm. and pain to just get what it is important to them in terms of what it is, um, what is a priority. So the flip in terms of Birth of a Nation from 1915 and reinvigorating the Ku Klux Klan as a result of that film, and then bring us to 2016 with Birth of a Nation, 
Nat Turner, turning the black man from the monster into the hero mm -hmm. because of the point of view and because who wrote the film, who directed the film, um, who starred in the film, all of those things, the flip on and having heroes in, I consider Birth of a Nation, even though it's historic, I consider it to be a horror film. I was just about to say, like, because, I mean, I find, I mean, I find any film that has any reference setting placement during the time of slavery, I mean, I find it to just be horrific. I find them to be the most difficult to watch. Yes. Um, and I'm thinking, like, I'm like, okay, that came out in Birth of a Nation. The the new, the uh, Nate Parker version came out in 2016. And I don't remember what year Get Out came out, if it was 2016 or 2018. Maybe 20, maybe 2018. I think it's 2018. It's 2017 or 18. Right. Mm -hmm. And so... And so I wonder, you know, because that also is like kind of an example of film, like where we kind of see two pieces of it. Like, I think there's the very obvious portrayal that like as a black person that like the black character in the show is in danger and then becomes the hero slash as well as his airport security friend become like the hero of his of his story. Yes. But I, I, the first time I watched Get Out, I was in the movie theater with Auntie and we watched it like we didn't see it with the whole group viewing that happened. And so it was just the two of us. It was at Tinseltown in like 2 p.m. in the afternoon and the theater was not very full. But the only people that were in that theater were white and non-black people. And we started off like I like to sit in like the middle, middle. So like middle way up, middle of the middle of the screen in a theater. Yes. That's where we started out. And within like five minutes, we moved to the very back. So no one was behind us so that we could see everyone. Cause I was like, we were like, we do not trust these people. Hmm. And I remember like even just conversations with like some white people who no longer are part of my circle, but who used to at the time being like mildly confused about like what was supposed to like in moments, what was supposed to be who was supposed to be the hero and who was supposed to be the villain, like what was really fully happening there? Because, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's largely just because the way in which like whiteness shows up in this film, though one, it shows up really insidiously and horrifying. It also, and honestly, it also is a really, I think, authentic portrayal that a lot of people are familiar with that they haven't seen in a horror context. And mm -hmm. so, the idea that it's like, oh, why is it so terrifying that this brother is now not knowing how to receive a fist bump? Like there's a lack of like cultural space there that doesn't tune in. And so I just wonder to what degree, I guess, like you think Birth of a Nation, particularly the 2016 version influenced, you know, the Jordan Peele films that we're seeing, the other black horror films that are coming out in recent years. Um, you know what? I'm not quite sure um, how Birth of a Nation potentially affect, impacted Jordan Peele because Jordan is also a huge fan, at least in terms of what I've read of, um, of, of horror films before, um, before Birth of a Nation. And Birth of a Nation, it, it, although I consider it to be a horror film, it's also his, it's part of history. 
So, you know, he would have learned about, particularly growing up in the States, he would have learned about Nat Turner growing up. So it was part of history in terms of Nat Turner rebellion, but it's, or some call it rebellion. If you're black, they call it rebellion. If you're white, they call it the Nat Turner massacre. <laughs> Just so you can see the flip, right? That's um, so fucking like okay, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so it's it, you know horror films. Depending on, I mean, not horror films, but villains are interesting because it really depends on their point of view. You know, most villains will go after got something they want to go after either it's you know um money or they want to extend their lives um and they don't care who they mow down to actually get to to actually get that but mm-hmm. you know that it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it, you know they don't have to kill somebody to be a villain um it's just a matter of who they the amount of collateral damage that they create as they head towards what they're heading towards. But um, it's always a point of view. It really is a point of view. So it's really interesting with with Get Out, with your friends who weren't quite sure what was happening. Because if you take that film and you made all the characters one race, it still follows the formula of a film, of a horror film. Right. So, you know, it's still the same formula, you know, don't go in that house. Um, And then you got somebody's got to go in because if they don't go in, you don't have a story. Mm -hmm. So there's always that, you know, sense of trepidation that always begins at the beginning of a horror film. And the only difference here really is that there was an authentic perspective of an interracial relationship and a friend warning another friend that, you know, maybe you need to seriously consider if you want to go meet this family in the middle of suburbia without any, you know, support around you. Um, but that is the same setup for don't go in that house. Doubtless of what your race is. And if you are a person who is up on current trends or you go to see films, you should be able to recognize that formula. And, you know, the way that it ended is um, particularly, it should be particularly noteworthy for everybody because in terms of horror films, there are not many of them where there are Black people that are still alive at the end and potentially are heroes. There are only a few, but there are more and more that are being made where um, Black people essentially can become heroes. They are saving lives. Um, They are authentic and they live throughout the whole film and they have a lot of lines. So, um, you know, my favorites are, you know, Watchmen, not a movie, not a movie, but definitely noteworthy. I love Craft Country. I just started watching it. Oh, 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 it's so good. It's so good. You know, um, definitely Lovecraft Country. I mean, you know, that um, <laughs> what a fantastic film. Um, not a film. I mean, series. I could watch that over and over again. And yep. what I loved about Watchmen also in terms of its historical perspective, 
again, looking at black people as potential heroes, but going through extreme adversity. And in Watchmen, it goes through several generations, but here you have black people as heroes who are either saving the planet, saving society, saving themselves, saving their family, saving someone. Mm-hmm. But what the historical perspective with Watchmen starting with the Tulsa, Oklahoma riots, again, who are the villains here? The villains were white supremacists that came in to destroy this whole town. And what is also no- noteworthy about Watchmen is before that, there were so many people that didn't realize that the Tulsa riots even happened, that the Tulsa massacre even happened. There are black people who live in Tulsa that did not know that the Tulsa massacres happened. And then Watchmen came out. And so here you go. There's a whole new rebirth in the city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, by people who are black looking for ways to memorialize and to celebrate the lives of the black people who were massacred in the streets in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And now look, and now I'm pretty, and now I think, I think I was just reading that like conversation, like the conversations that Watchmen, yeah, started around the Tulsa uh, massacre are, is now like, has now prompted there to be that to be studied more broadly or like have proper sections in history classes in Oklahoma state, but I believe as well as like across the U S in select ways as well, which is, you Absolutely. know, the power of film. Yeah. The power you know, of storytelling. So many people when they first watched it, didn't even, re- you know, they're watching it and they didn't realize that this had actually occurred in history correct i mean i'm i'm only like five episodes in and i was just talking about it with auntie earlier today because she's also seen it and i was saying i was like something that i mildly struggle with is the way in which and again i'm only five episodes in so like i I won't say uh, anything about the the, end the, the way i have a hard time with anything that like it gives me like borderline police sympathy vibes you know Yes. I, have a, I have a bit of a hard time with that um, just because I'm like, mm, but it also, I also was kind of into, but not as much as I expected myself to be, which was a nice reminder that like of where my abolitionist um, bones stand. Um, I was kind of into the glimpse of what a world that still has a police state looks like, but that is actually in support and care of black people mm, and i was mm-hmm. like i'm still not into the shitty behavior that y'all police are doing because that shit's harmful and fucked up however interesting very dystopian absolutely well and you know the whole watchman series or at least the watchman comic books of course are i didn't read the comics before um, this, I actually saw the Watchmen film. Um, it was a feature film that was done, gosh, was it in the 80s? I think it was done in the 80s. And it's completely different um, than what you're seeing um, in Watchmen. And, you know, I think that the whole, the whole scenario of cops wearing masks so that they couldn't be identified um, 
was really a trip to me. It's like, well, that's giving them a lot of power, but also at the same time, I can understand the rationale that they gave where as a result of the work that they were doing, they could be singled out and killed. So they needed to keep their faces covered. Which, uh, yes, I, I need to think if I can say this out. I, I need to just, oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, maybe you shouldn't say this out loud, but I will. Are you I sure? I find that so interesting, especially when we think about uh, the world that we currently live in that is like demanding the di the di divestment at bare min at the reform bare minimum, but divestment into funding of police because like I saw a trailer. I don't know what the name of the film was. I haven't seen the trailer since. I don't even know how to go about finding it. I saw a tra trailer for a film that is basically a black man is with his black son and the black son gets shot by police. And this black man gathers up the fucking neighborhood and they basically go cop hunting. And I'm also reminded of like in moments over the summertime, pictures from over the summertime of their, of like police vehicles being like swarmed by thousands of people. Yes. And I'm genuinely surprised, not because black people are vicious and villainous, but so, I mean, opportunity bare minimum. Okay. I'm okay. genuinely surprised. And I think it's convenient that we're in a pandemic that there hasn't been, and maybe there hasn't, I'm unaware, but a tightening in personal security for the police in this last year. Be and I mean, I know that they've gotten like more weapons and everything like that, but like the idea of like having, of like identities being like concealed, you know, or like, mm -hmm. you know, people are operating off of aliases. They're not in police uniforms. They have a badge somewhere on their body. You know, you see this much eyes of the face, I'm shocked that there hasn't even been like an attempt to access that. And I'm curious if potentially post pandemic, if that will stay, if, if masks will potentially stay a usable thing for ensuring like the air quotes safety of police. Oh, it's definitely an interesting premise, but I'm hoping that that's not going to be the case um, because, you know, at least there have been efforts made before. I mean, there were times when cops didn't wear name badges. So you couldn't identify who came knocking on your door. Um, so there were changes to make that happen. So at least they can be identified if they're wearing their badges. But um, I would hope not. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I also very much would hope not, but it's it, it's a weird show to be watching because I don't know I don't I think of what came out sometime late 2019 Watchmen yes and so it's weird to be watching it now in the middle of a pandemic where people are like wearing masks casually I'm like I was like okay y'all are y'all are with the times and then I was like oh no this is a little bit different and um yeah it's really interesting to be watching right now. It is fascinating. And Regina King is badass. Yeah. Wait till you get through the, re through the rest of it. Wait till you get through the rest of it. I'm literally going to binge watch it either tonight or tomorrow. Like, you should. I, um, I have no reason to not watch the other four episodes when I watched all five of them, like the first five literally yesterday. 
<laughs> yeah. Literally yesterday. It's good. And have you seen Lovecraft Country? Uh, oh, yes. I fall. I watched it in as it came out. Mm. I couldn't get enough of it. And I'm hoping there's going to be a season two. If you can give me fucking however many seasons there was of Game of Thrones, you can give me bare minimum three seasons of Lovecraft Country. Very true. And I think with the popularity of the series, they have at least the justification mm-hmm. for um, at least one more season. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Again, heroes. Black heroes. Heroes. And like Lovecraft, both Lovecraft Country and um, Watchmen. I only started reading Octavia Butler like actively, like probably two years ago. So mm. I've, I've recently been reading. I just started the, like the Lilith's Brood series. Yes. And having that particular, and I, I also had just um, read um, Par- the Parable series, so Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents. Having like now those things like in my brain as I watch these shows that explore that explore like Afro science fiction. Mm. Also, I'm pretty sure we're the per- first person to introduce me to like Afro science fiction. Um, mm. oh, Afrofuturism. I'm like, there's an actually a word there. Yes. Um, you and it would be a mixture between you and Kona, but I digress. But to watch these shows in these two in particular with also that that knowledge like it's for me it's very clear that like octavia butler stories are absolutely a reference point for both of these shows without a doubt she is not to mention she has inspired so many other black afrofuturistic um authors nk jemison 100,000 kingdoms i mean the series the series, there are three, it's a trilogy. The three books have to be, it's got to be maybe four inches thick, but you cannot put it down. You can't put the book down. And as soon as you're reading and the main character describes what she looks like, she looks like you, she looks like me. And when I first read that, I was able to just exhale and say okay there's somebody like me in this book um yes we have adventures yes we want adventures yes we have a life yes we are heroes and yes we are monsters we are all of this Mm -hmm. why is it that (laughs) what people want to sell are us being monsters all the time and that's why this rebirth or just reinvigoration and the growth so that there is representation so that we can have these stories is it's very, very exciting to me. Yeah. Um, And, you know, and I am particularly a really big fan again, coming back to heroes. Have you seen attack the block? No, that's the, that's the like vampire hunters in the Bronx, right? No. Well, it's almost kind of like it, but they're aliens that come to this London neighborhood. Work. And the star of the film is John Boyega, who is the brother who was in Star Wars. Work. So these aliens land in 
you know, they call the projects the, the, the estates and the aliens land there and it's essentially their block. And so the brothers do what the brothers got to do to protect the block. Where? And his name is Moses. And, you know, he first starts off a little rough. And by the end of the film, hero. Here it is, a horror film. And a black man is a hero at the end of the film. Yes. It's like, yes, we have heroes. We, we do. We, we do have heroes. And they should be on, definitely be on screen. Definitely be on screen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you should see Attack the Block. And then, of course, another hero, Blade. You've seen Blade. I've, of yes. Okay. All right. Yes. Eh, well, that's another hero right there. I love the opening scene. I mean, oh God, there's so much blood, but it is, it is a blade film and he is a vampire that's out there uh, killing people. He was an amazing hero mm -hmm. in that film. I just, I was just screaming the whole time as he's just kicking ass left, right and center, slashing people in half. And yes, wasn't even breathing hard the whole time he did it. So yeah, truly. not even a break of sweat. Not even a break of sweat. There are <laughs> truly so many more films that we could talk about. That is true. Um, so many. Like, that is true. Literally, as we were talking, there was like seven that came to my mind that are not on this list to watch. <laughs> or that uh, on the list that we wrote. Like, have you yeah. seen um, Judith and the Black Messiah? Not yet. I want to, though. Yes. I'm we, giving we, myself some. Yes. We will recirculate when that's when you do. Well, I love uh, Daniel uh, Kaluye. Is that how you say his name? Yes. I believe so, but I also am not the one to ask. Okay. It's a great, very hard, great yeah. film. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's part of the reason I haven't watched it. I've, during this pandemic, I, you know, I'll be honest. I've been looking at comedies, yes, and um, lighthearted fare because the pandemic is hard, mm -hmm. and so right now I'm looking for joy on the screen as an escapism because we're trapped in the middle of this of this pandemic. Which I like see being around people. I love uh, engaging the community providing platforms for people to just get together and to talk and mm -hmm. to see each other. Mm -hmm. And this pandemic is not allowing me to do that. Mm -hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's hard. I'm used to being around a lot of people. Yeah. I'm yeah. used to straight up spending the majority of my February seeing you at least five times. At least exactly. Or like, I mean, Thanksgiving passed and I so desperately really wanted that freaking seaweed lasagna that you made <laughs> one year. I was like craving it. Or like even the election, like we watched, I watched, we watched the 2016 election at your house. Oh God, yes, Lord. Oh man, I was. No, it would have been, it would have been really nice to watch this year's election at your house. Oh, Come on, party. Well, I tell you. You know, you were here 2016, how depressed we all were at the end of that. And then 2020, 
I hear it is 10 o'clock at night and they were counting all of the results coming in through the machines. And I'm like, oh, don't tell me that this, don't tell me that this man is one again, please. And I was so depressed and I was getting messages from people saying, oh, I feel so bad for you. La la la. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not talking to any of y'all. I'm in a bad mood. You don't want to hear what I have to say right now because it's not going to be nice. And I went to bed. And as I was going to bed, I said, but you know what? I have to remember the mail-in ballots. And woke up in the morning and saw all these states that had turned blue. Oh, yo, I, I fully, I went to this man's house. And I fully was like, I basically put my phone somewhere else and just was like, I am not, I'm not watching that. Like, I just, I was just like, we're not going to talk about it. Yes. I was there for like a day and a half. And I think on that like half day, yeah. Waking up and being like, oh, I know. She's a little blue. Okay. I'm like, check this out. And then it just kept getting... You know, I remember being like, okay, we either need like this state and this state or just this state or these three. Like, I remember kind of like trying to figure out the math and then watching like basically all of them turn blue or so close. I was like, oh, yes. Oh, was I in a better mood? I was in much a better mood. And then Biden won. Biden Biden and Harris won. So like you know what can finally breathe i don't have to watch the news all the time because i'm afraid number 45 is gonna press the nuclear button i mean we were all just always anxious all the time now our anxiety is based on something else you know this pandemic um because we don't know where it's going we don't know what we have to do Yeah. yeah um you know, being safe. And then all these people out there don't want to wear masks. And I'm like, you know, seriously? I mean, really? Yeah. Seriously? It says no shirt, no shoes, no service. That's okay with you. But the moment somebody puts masks on that list, you have a problem. You're stressed. So, okay. It's like- I'm more stressed about places not letting me wear shoes or not letting me not wear (laughs) shoes. Okay. You know? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Like, wear your mask, go buy your milk and bread, get out. And then you can take your mask off. You know? That's all. That's that's all. That's all you got to do. Please. Anyone. Well, on TV, this chat was. Oh. Lovely. I've I've wanted to have you. You've been at like you were one of the OG first attendees of a black chat. You've been to most of them. You've been to nearly all black attacks, I believe. You know, you're literally one of my favorite people on this planet. You attended my you you you're like family. You've attended like my graduation. Like I just came across your pictures the other day for graduation. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. my darling. Yeah, special. I miss you. I miss seeing you. I miss you so much. I literally it fully it causes me full tears sometimes. Me too. I miss your face. Oh, and your exuberance and your energy and your calling people out, calling me out if I got something to say. I'm like, yeah, that's right. Go ahead. 
I can take it. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, all right. Amazing. And you were there at the Desmond Cole event as well when Desmond came into town with the yes. book. That was great. Isn't that wild up like what was that a week ago, a year ago? Yes. We were sitting in Desmond Cole's hotel room drinking, I don't know, gin and something, whatever, <laughs> shooting the shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And his book had just become the number one best-selling nonfiction book in Canada, yes. which was great. And had that discussion with him at the library, which was fantastic. He's an amazing and amazing author and man i mean he is one of our um present day heroes he really really is i would say that you are also one of our present day heroes oh you're so sweet i'm no, so serious okay. because like especially amongst like i'll say this and then we can wrap up especially okay. amongst black women and femmes that i know whether they're like older or my age or whatever like first of all People get jealous of me when I say how close we are. And so that firstly <laughs> signifier how great you are. <laughs> but also secondly, like you are, I, I mean, I just experience you to be like this beacon and example of like unapologetic, beautiful, radiant, honest, creative black women that I just I feel so fortunate to know and you know I hope that like you had someone like you growing up and I hope that everyone has someone like you at any point of their life ideally early you know adolescence is a great idea um you know 18 was a really good age for me to meet you I think so I appreciate that um because yeah like I just I think you're a hero. I think you're a hero. I think you're an inspiration. You've been like <clears throat> one of the most influential people in my life and my creativeness, you know, you're one you're always at the top of the list for things. If I'm doing something that I want who of people who I want to be on the oh, panel or doing the stuff. I'm serious. I think you're so cool. I wouldn't have you on here if I didn't think you were cool. <laughs> I don't well, got time to talk to boring people. The fuck? Mm -hmm. I hear that. Thank you very much. And the feelings are absolutely mutual. Absolutely the same. You inspire me as well. Just moved here. Didn't know much people. And now look at you. I mean, oh, and you're brilliant on top of it. And you're open to learning. And you're just a loving wonderful person who don't take shit you know that okay and um that's the best way to be i think open loving person who doesn't take shit and also helps to protect other people and of course i feel the same way about your auntie oh thank you thank you i know she reciprocates the feelings like for real for real Okay, so before we go in closing, um, yes. I just want to give a quick shout out to our new, so Black Chat, we've been, in the later half of the year, we got approved for a grant um, so that we could continue to do this work, but so that like we weren't doing all the labor solo because this stuff is exhausting. No mm -hmm. matter how much I like all of y'all, I was fucking over editing and y'all know I wasn't editing shit. So... <laughs> 
like, hello. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and so we have, I mean, uh, we have a new team now. We've recently got brought on a transcriptionist as uh, well as an audio producer. And then of course we still have Ife on deck as our graphic designer. So I just wanted to shout out the team. Um, Ife Teo Alibi is our graphic designer. You can find Ife. Yes, love come on, you, Ife. Ife. Haven't seen you forever, my darling. Would love living to see it up, you. Living it up in Toronto at art school, being badass. I bet. Ooh, um, okay. Yeah, you can, find, you can find Ife on Instagram at goldz.artchive. I will put it in the description because I don't want to spell that out. Um, our dope-ass new audio producer, her name is Jeanette King. You can find her at Instagram at Jeanette dot king um and she's also a musician so check out her music and she's super sweet you would have heard her work in the last episode i think like we're still trying to figure out what the audio production of this podcast is going to be so it'll be i don't know what even what this episode will be like after she's done with it but i feel i'm super excited and grateful so grateful jeanette you have no idea how grateful i am for your existence on this we're grateful jeanette we're grateful i'm so over the editing and um last but absolutely certainly not least is we finally are gonna have transcriptions coming out in fact by the time that this episode is released there will likely have been transcriptions out from episodes that we recorded in 2020. Yeah, wow, yeah, that was that year, Jesus. Um, that came out in 2020 and our new transcriptionist is Palesa Koitsiwe, um, who is at Imbali underscore Bloom underscore consulting. Um, she's been super rad working with us since like the beginning, late last year, beginning of this year to transcribe our all pre-existing episodes and all future episodes and so now, Folks who, one, just want to read the podcast, you can. Um, hard of hearing folks and deaf folks um, who can't listen to the podcast, you, it's now available to read. Um, if y'all are wanting it in different languages, I'm going to need y'all to pay for that because I just can't. Sorry. I'll plug it into Google Translate for you if you really, I'll do that. But I, do, I just, I can't afford it right now. Um, but I'm yeah, super that- appreciative of our team as well as we have a couple non-Black people who volunteer for tech support as well as for our like website and social media support. I'm not going to name them because I love y'all, but you're not black. So we're not calling you out maybe another time, but I love y'all too. And I'm just, I'm really appreciative for the team and for our growth and I'm excited. I'm excited too. And congratulations on all of the work that you have been, you and your whole team and your auntie have been doing this whole time to keep black chat alive. Thank you. Shout out to you and to your whole team. Well done. Thank you. Wow. Um, I asked you before we started, but I forgot and I'll ask you again. Is there anything you would like to plug, Auntie B? Any, I don't know if you want people to come and try to find you on the social medias. That's entirely up to you. Because <laughs> sometimes people be ruthless. So it's a, uh, Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, people can look me up. I'm not going to say where I am, but I'm all over i'm on facebook i'm there very googleable yeah i i certainly am that is for certain and um the only thing i don't have anything to plug although i did read that desmond is going to do something with robin robin maynard at ubc sometime next week oh yeah i saw that on uh twitter earlier today so um 
it would be great to, to connect with Desmond, but he's so big now. I um, mean, I have his personal number. He can fucking, I'm going to call him later. You know what? Yeah, do that. That's right. I've got his number too. Shout out to everybody listening. If they're still listening, this was fun. I could talk about film all day, all night. Yeah. Anybody want an opinion on my opinion on film? I'm definitely willing to give it. Yeah, I um, mean, I would love for you to have your own podcast where you literally just, we, you just talk about films as they come out, films and TV. Uh, I would love it. And one thing I'm excited about is that there is more, more Black content for, particularly for Canadian films that are coming out and um, also more people of color as well as some really great LGBTQ2 plus films that are coming out that are Canadian, lots of Canadian. So many organizations are trying to work on representation for financing for films. So in the next couple of years, you will be seeing more in this year and following years, you will see more content. I'm really excited about that. Um, Before I go crazy and plug everything, Barbara, what does intergenerational creation, whatever that, interpret that as you will, look like to you? And as when I called you and call you an elder, but I would consider you one, not because of your age, because you're not old. <laughs> because of your wisdom. I own being an elder. I do. I do. Um, what is your advice to youth? like me or youthier than me, I don't care about intergenerational connection. I can tell you from my personal experience, since the age of 14, I have had friends that are 20, 30, 40 years older than me. And to me, it was just connecting with the spirit of that person. And even as I became older, like in the thirties, I'd had friends that were in their seventies. I just never asked them. I, I would find out by accident how old they were, but it was because of the relationship that we had that an intergenerational relationship was just really easy. Um, both sides, both people, if it's only two or maybe it's three, maybe it's four people, but everyone benefits as a result of intergenerational relationships, whether it's work related or whether it's something that's personal, you know, it is because hopefully as you continue to breathe and you're fortunately, if you're healthy enough to get around, you're still going to have adventures and experiences. Um, And hopefully you've learned from them. Sometimes we don't, doesn't matter how old we are. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, But not only do you learn, but you get a chance to have some fun. Mm -hmm. So, and if it's in a professional sort of arena, it still is great because younger people bring their experiences and what they're going through um, to the forefront and new ideas and new ways of thinking of things. And if you're older, hopefully you're doing the same thing, but it's about listening and respecting whoever you are working with, doubtless of their age. Mm -hmm. And you have to get past whatever sort of, you know, hangups you have either about older people, or if you're older, whatever hangups you have about younger people and just connect with another human being because 
you either have something in common or you met someplace and that was something in common or you're working on the same project mm -hmm. or you just happen to like each other. Mm -hmm. It's about the spirits connecting mm -hmm. and being with that person because you want to be with that person, doubtless of the relationship. And everyone benefits as a result of intergenerational um, relationships. Period. The end. That's all she wrote. Come on now. Okay. Well, oh, Barbara, this was so great. This was such an enriching combo. Mm, I love you and I miss you. I love you and I miss you too. Thank you so much for being here and taking the time out of your busy, busy life. Also, happy belated birthday. Your birthday just happened. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you very yes. much. Thank yes. you. Yes. Um, so thank you for another year around the sun. It's been lovely having you in rotation. So for everyone listening, thanks for listening. Um, be sure to check out our last episode, which was with Naya Lewis. Her and I were in conversation. That was super rad. Naya actually is the current curator of the um vif celebrates black history month that barbara was the original founder of so we and i is doing a great job what a yes. brilliant 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 person that she is oh i amazing yeah so you of course were like it was natural to have y'all come very uh soon after one another in this um so yeah be sure to check that episode out um, check us out online um, at blackchat.ca, which is our website. If you go to blackchat.com, it will bring you to a black cam site, which we love. So support black sex workers. But if you want to find us, we're blackchat.ca. Also, if you want to support us, please do so at patreon.com slash blackchat. Um, I'm in the process of sorting out those tiers and things. So I apologize in advance. And I thank you all for your contributions anyways. Um, and then for the best ways to keep up with us is through Instagram and Facebook, which are both at Black Chat Vancouver. Um, there's good things in the mix. There's a lot of really fun things coming up and fun conversations and deep conversations that are coming up. So please stay into it and get into it. And again, shout out to the team. Shout out to Kona. We're missing you this week. Um, but you shall be back and we shall be down for these conversations. And yeah, thank you again, Auntie B, for being here. Thank you, my darling. Thank you for asking. It was my pleasure. My pleasure. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.